but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That kind of says it all. It was a time when sin-fallen humanity had caused the morality of the world to become a very dark place, along with the earth's explosion in a population growth. There was also a great explosion toward the lust of the flesh. For the Bible tells us, the sons of God took wives for themselves of the daughters of men. They were beautiful. They took their wives for themselves of all they chose. And from this union, the giants were born, the Nephilim, the mighty men of renown. And God saw, Genesis 6, 5, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. And then we close out in verses 22 through 26. Joseph, as he is dying, many years past now, Joseph would spend a total of 93 years in Egypt, 17 years in the land of Canaan as a young boy, 93 years in Egypt living to be, verse 22, 110 years old. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation and the children of Malkir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought on the knees of Joseph. And so it just begins, just the blessing that he had, that God allowed him to see his great-great-grandchildren through Ephraim and his great-grandchildren through Manasseh. And the phrase being brought up on the knees refers to his claim on them as his descendants. Not just a grandpa, but you're part of my descendants. I've really, over the last 10 years or so, Fallen in love with Proverbs 13, 22. I want to be a good man who leaves an inheritance to my children's children. But I'm not talking finance. There might be some money left over. Maybe. When we're done. But spiritually, I want to do my best to leave a good inheritance to my children and to their children as well. 24 through 26, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am dying, but God will surely visit you, bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him 
and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So the chapter closes with Joseph proclaiming that God would deliver their people and bring them back to the promised land. And so as he was dying, he was setting the hope of the future generations that God is going to do a work. And when he comes to bring you out of the land of Egypt, take my bones up with you, which they did. Joshua 24, 32 tells us that they carried his bones back and buried him at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought for 100 pieces of silver and that had become the inheritance of the children of Joseph. So now we find that there are at least two mummified bodies in the land of Egypt. It's not strange to find a mummy, dig up something in Egypt and say, hey, we found some mummies down here. Sudan, they have some areas of building there as well, very similar um, ziggurats there in Sudan, not the pyramids that we find in Egypt, but very similar and not too far from one another also. But in Israel, oh, I'm waiting for that day to happen. Maybe tomorrow we'll wake up with the news. That would be totally cool. One more thing before we go to just a wrap up of the book of Genesis. So I, I shared of my dad having heart surgery, praying that prayer to God. Uh, if you make me as good a man as I am today, after the surgery, I'll serve you all the days of my life. Toward the end of his days, I remember him sharing with the church that God did me one better because I'm a better man today than I was before I had my heart surgery. Now, physically, he was not in good shape when he said those words, but spiritually, he became that better man. God always does us one better. We need to know that. So I wanted to do just a quick review of six, I think, significant points in the timeline of the book of Genesis. And that is the six that I just last week, I just wrote down these six. I didn't change it today. I just kind of, I wrote down the six things last week and I just kind of expanded a little bit on them, put a verse to each one of them. So this is what I wrote down last week creation. I think that's important. The fall, the flood, 70 nations, Babel, and number six, the patriarchs. But we'll get to those six if I can find my place again. Here we go. So with creation, and we find that in Genesis chapters one and two, I had to begin with verse one of Genesis Chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't believe the first verse of the Bible, then you're going to have trouble believing all the other verses of the Bible that follow it. Everything hinges upon that one statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we live in an age where most people on the earth today do not believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And they, many believing that we have evolved from lower to higher forms. And sadly, this belief has even permeated much of the church today. And as a result, the power of God has been lost in the pulpits of the church today. They might be preaching, but they're not 
preaching with the power that God intends for his church to have. God not only created humanity in his own image, but made them male and female here in the United States. That's a struggle. Just yesterday, a new story of a, a guy claiming to be a female, beating out a swim race, swim meet, by something like 47 seconds for the next swimmer. It's incredible in swimming. Remember Michael Phelps in uh, the Olympics and the fingertip touch that only because he took one extra kick did he win that gold medal on that particular race. But now we have men saying they're women competing with the women and, you know, God made us male and female. We're made different. If you read the first two chapters of the book of the Bible, you would understand that. But the thing is, people aren't reading their Bible anymore. So they are confused. Not only did God define genders, male and female, he created them. God gave them the ability to have families to participate in fulfilling the commission that he gave to Adam and Eve, saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In giving Eve to Adam, God actually performed the first Wedding ceremony, something which Jesus commented about in Matthew 19, 3 through 6, saying, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, listen to what Jesus said, made them male and female? Okay, so I don't agree with Genesis 1 and 2 that God made them male and female. Well, how about Matthew 19, 3, where Jesus also said, made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus in agreement. We have in the creation, in the beginning, God not only creating the world, the animals, which I didn't even mention, male and female, Adam and Eve, the family, but establishing one of the first institutions that God gave humanity is the institution of marriage, all found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, we have the fall. The key verse that I put in this fact, chapter is not dealing with the fall, but dealing with the promise of the coming Messiah, Genesis 3.15 where God, in cursing Satan, said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. This is called the first gospel. Now, speaking about the Messiah's coming and the uh, Satan attempting, we're there on the cross. Satan thought that he had conquered Jesus, but all he did was bruise his heel. But by Jesus going on the cross, he crushed Satan and the power of death and sin there on the cross. But there in the garden, God had given Adam and Eve permission to eat of every fruit of the trees that were found in the midst of the garden. But one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that fruit, God said, you cannot eat it. The day you eat of it, you will die. But we learn that Eve saw the tree she saw three things about the tree. One, that it was good for food. The fruit was pleasant to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. 
This tells me that Eve was kind of investigating the tree that they were not to have anything to do with. And this investigation that she had, she pondered it. Oh, look, that looks like good food. Oh, I love the looks of that fruit. It's so pretty. I wish I could just pick it and put it in the house. Adam would be so proud when he came home from tending the garden and the fruit basket with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right there with the apples and oranges. Oh, yeah, um, apples, that was something that we put in there. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. Also, it was desirable to make one wise. And that opened the path for Satan's deception. Afterwards, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They sinned against God. They realized their nakedness because their eyes were opened. And God, in cursing Satan, as we just read, gave the first gospel, promising that the seed of the woman, a descendant, would bruise the head of the serpent, ultimately being fulfilled through Christ himself. And it's worth noting that the woman does not carry a seed. And so this could be in this first gospel, a hint of the virgin birth of Christ. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4, 5, Galatians 4, 4 and 5, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And we learned as we went through this study many months ago, there are at least seven things that resulted because of the fall. As found in Genesis 3, verses 16 through 19, this is the list that I came up with. There was sorrow, pain, the curse, toil, thorns, sweat, and death. And of all seven of these things, Jesus reverses the result of that fall. Of sorrow, Isaiah 53, 3, Jesus became a man of sorrows. Of pain, Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded and bruised for our transgressions. Of the curse, Galatians 3, 13, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Of toil, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me and I will give you rest. Of thorns, Jesus in John 19, 5, wore a crown of thorns. Of sweat, Luke twenty two forty four. it tells us that Jesus' sweat became like great drops of blood. Of death, Luke eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Of all the things that came upon humanity as a result of the fall, Jesus came to reverse those, bring us back into fellowship with God. In Genesis 6 through 9, chapter 6 through 9, we have the flood and the story of Noah. And the verse that I picked, and there's many, but Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That kind of says it all. It was a time when sin-fallen humanity had caused the morality of the world to become a very dark place, along with the earth's explosion in the population growth. There was also a great explosion toward the lust of the flesh. For the Bible tells us, the sons of God took wives for themselves of the daughters of men, 
They were beautiful. They took their wives for themselves of all they chose. And from this union, the giants were born, the Nephilim, the mighty men of renown. And God saw, Genesis 6, 5, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So God set a limit upon humanity of 120 years. And at that time, he said, my spirit will only strive 120 years with the earth. Then I will destroy the earth with a flood. Then the Bible tells us, Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the key to Noah's relationship with God was his obedience to the word of God. After the flood, I'm going to skip all the ark building and the animals coming two by two. If you want to learn a lot about that, go down to Kentucky where they built Answers in Genesis. It's fun to go to, I have to admit. So you can learn about it there. But I'm going to take us after the flood. Where after the flood, God commissioned Noah. Similar to what commission that God had given to Adam and Eve, saying, be fruitful and multiply. This is the commission to Adam and Eve, Genesis 1:28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. No longer, though, were they to have dominion. So God changed it up slightly for Noah. But God made a covenant with Noah, and the covenant is that of the rainbow. He said he would remember an everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow itself. We look up and see a rainbow. God is looking down, remembering his covenant with us. For Noah, obedience was the key in his relationship with God. That's true for all of us. Seventy nations, Genesis chapter 10, really listing out the genealogy of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and those who were born to them after the flood. And so we go through the listing of 70 nations, 14 nations coming from Ham, 14 nations coming from Japheth, Ham having 30 nations, Shem, 26 nations, but through the genealogy, following the line of Christ, we have Shem uh, being part of the line of Christ, the lineage of Christ, as we read about. I'm going to skip several of these verses, but the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, 23, and then skipping down to verses 36 through 38, it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about the age of 30 being, as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, and then we get down to verse 36, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Zeth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so we have in the 70 nations that one nation that was set apart ultimately would be the nation of Israel, but through whom Jesus would descend. Chapter 11 is Babel. Chapter 11 is broken into two parts. So we get 1 through 25, we read about uh, the confusing of the language or Babel. Verse 7, that key, come, let us go down and confuse their language 
that they may not understand one another's speech. So this brings us to about 2,000 years of humanity's history from Adam to Abram at this point. You know, the Bible tells us we had about 2,000 years of history at that point, and humanity multiplies that to some 200,000 years of human history. But chapter 11 speaks about the confusing of the languages and then it gets on to Father Abraham and the children of Israel. So Noah's descendants, they began to drift apart. And as they journeyed, it tells us they journeyed from the east. They found this plain in the plain of Shinar. And they had a unity of language and a unity of purpose at that time. God had said, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 9, 1. But this group decided to build a tower that could reach its tops to heaven. Some believe that they wanted to build the tower in case the Lord flooded the earth again. They could escape by climbing the tower. All they had to do is look at the rainbow. God had promised, never again will I flood the earth and destroy it by flood. So they wasted their time if that was their purpose for the tower. Many believe that the tower's purpose was to worship the heavens. Some thought that it was to usurp their authority over God. Whatever the purpose, God confused their language, scattered them throughout the whole world at this point. Therefore, God's interaction really could be viewed as a point of grace more than a punishment. Because if left on the path that they were on, it would have led to their ultimate destruction, not their salvation. They were trying to be saved in their own strength, apart from God, when God would send his son to be that savior. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And finally, the patriarchs. Now, there are many covenants that God gives to Abraham. I mean, we're going now we're going from Genesis eleven twenty six to chapter 50, verse 26, the remainder of the book of Genesis. And contained in that, you have the journey of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. And he added other three wives as well. But Jacob's 12 sons, especially that of Judah, and Joseph, they are singled out for us. A key verse that I put to this is Genesis 12:3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That portion of that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's messianic. It was talking about the coming Messiah. So God would work through the patriarchs. Bring them, as we just learned, all the way down to Egypt, but the promise that they would come back to the promised land. The first two verses of Matthew's gospel, we have a short summary, very short summary of Genesis 11:26 through Genesis 50:26, where it says this: Matthew 1, 1 and 2. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, ultimately bringing us to Christ himself. So six 
things that we find so important in the book of Genesis. We learn about creation, the fall, the flood, 70 nations, Babel, confusing of the languages, and the patriarchs. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word, to learn from the very last chapter of Genesis tonight, Genesis chapter 50. Also, Lord, just a review of the book itself, these keys, foundational keys found in the book of Genesis that really set up the remainder of the Bible, how important this book is for the people of faith today. Help us, Lord, to continue to learn from your word. Help us, Lord, to live for you. Help us to be like Noah, where obedience is key in our relationship with you. And that could be said of so many of the saints. Lord, for you truly do desire obedience more than sacrifice. So help us, Lord, to live in obedient lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.